Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, some big news up in New York, huh? I take it uh, Mayor de Blasio is going to be real popular with a certain segment of the New York population. I highly doubt it in any form ever, but uh, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take I'll take one good thing every now and then that he decides to do. Yeah. So basically everybody that works in New York City, whether they are private or public employees, are going to have to be vaccinated. Is, am I understanding yep. that correctly? That seems to be the case. Um, I don't know if there's any kind of weird pseudo religion loopholes yeah, yeah, yeah. there as shouldn't per usual, be. but there shouldn't be, right? Yeah. Well, congratulations. Hopefully this stems the tide of any uh, Greek lettered uh, variants popping up their yeah. ugly heads in uh, in New York City, but we're gonna um, move to a different alphabet soon. Otherwise, or yeah. like hieroglyphics, I guess. I was to say cuneiform. Yeah, yeah, that would be very exactly. nice. Exactly. Very good. Shout out to uh, the cuneiform reference. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. Hammurabi's code <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I was I was a history major for two years. I'm good. Oh. Uh, Anyway, I was more, I wanted to, I hadn't gotten to focus on an area yet, but I would have focused on Tudor England, but either way. Um, Mm -hmm. Good choice. Yeah, we're one of a kind, no category. Anyway, so um, uh, Grace, Ashley, and I have been talking about our holiday plans for Broadway Radio. We've got a ton of really interesting content coming up, especially because there's not going to be a lot of news. So we're going to have a lot of really fun stuff happening in the podcast feeds between now and the end of the year. Jennifer McHugh and I will be popping in a couple times with the Some Like It Pop episodes. Um, But you're going to want to head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio to hear all of that stuff before you can get it anywhere else. And there will be exclusives over there as well. (laughs) Um, If you're a good good little child, um, we will be giving you some (laughs) presents at patreon.com slash broadwayradio. But Ashley, today we have another kind of short news episode. And then I have an interview that I did. um, with Justin Elizabeth Sayer on Monday um, talking about their show that's running at La Mama just through the end of the week. So um, pay attention to that at the end of this episode. But we do have some news that we wanted to get into. And let's start with some show and casting news. And first up, last week, uh, City Center announced some updates to their upcoming Encore season casting. The show with the most changes is likely, for logistical reasons, the first show of the year, The Tap Dance Kid. Now, unfortunately, the great Dulé Hill will no longer be playing Uncle Dipsy. Instead, mm. Trevor Jackson will play the role. Joining the previously announced Jared Grimes will be Tracy Beezer. Joshua Henry, more on him later in the episode, Shahadi Wright-Joseph, Chance K. Smith, the always wonderful Adrian Walker, and Alexander Bellow. The show will run at City Center from February 2nd through the 6th. I will be there on the 3rd, FYI, because I got the... Uh, Thursday season subscription to all three Encore shows because I was not missing the last one, which we'll get to in a second. Solid. Then from March 16th through the 20th, Alexander Gray, Antoine Hopper, and Erica Olsen have joined the cast of The Life, along with the previously announced Michael Kilgore, Ladisi, and Ken Robinson. Um, also announced Destin Owens will now be playing Old Jojo, replacing Chuck Cooper, who had originally been announced for that role. Now, Ashley, this is interesting to me because Dulé Hill was a replacement understudy in the original, in the original Broadway cast of The Tap Dance Kid. And of course, Chuck Cooper won a Tony for the original Broadway production 
of the life. Sure. Yeah. Both both were announced for these encore runs, and both have had to back out due to scheduling conflicts. Of course, good for them for having other stuff going on. Seriously, they're very busy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad that there are no OBC members in Encore's Into the Woods production, uh, because I couldn't take uh, anybody in this cast being replaced for whatever reason. Uh, but... Into the Woods will run from May 4th through the 15th and will feature the previously announced Sarah Bareilles, Christian Borle and his arms, Heather Headley and Ashley Park. <laughs> and they will now be joined by Shireen Pimentel and Jordan Donica as Rapunzel and her prince, along with uh, newcomers Julia Lester and Cole Thompson as Little Red and Jack. Pretty good. Yeah, I'm Heather Headley as the witch. Uh, My God, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Cannot wait. I'm still like, why are we doing this production? But I can't complain about it at all. No. I'm I'm so excited about it. I can think of six reasons we're doing this production. Sarah Bareilles, Christian Borle, Heather (laughs) Headley, Ashley Park, Shireen Pimentel, and Jordan Donick. And I'm sure that there will be some other names added to the cast as it gets closer. In other casting news, it was announced yesterday that the three current leading ladies of the Broadway production of Chicago have extended their runs a bit to play through some or all of the upcoming holidays. Lilius White will stick around as Matron Mama Morton until the day after Christmas, December 26th, and Bianca Mara Quinn and Anna Villafanye will stick with the show as Velma Kelly and Roxy Hart, respectively, through January 9th. And finally, in this section, yesterday, the civilians announced the casting for their upcoming production of Duncan Sheik and Kyle Jaro's Whisper House. Whisper House. I was going to say, I got to say it quieter. Yeah, the show will feature Samantha Mathis from the TV show Billions, Alex Boniello, Jeb Brown, uh, Wyatt Serbis, Molly Hager from Waitress, and Jay's Yasagashi. The show will run at 59 East 59 from January 11th through February 6th. Um, uh, this show, actually, it, because I'm going to be, the reason I mentioned I'm going to be at the Tap Dance Kid on um, on that Thursday, February 3rd, is because I... I'm going to snag a ticket to Whisper House because I I need to make sure I see that too because uh, I'm Always not the biggest Duncan Sheik civilian show. Yeah, that's what I was to say. Not the biggest Duncan Sheik fan in the world. I've made that known, but Fair always enough. a civilians fan. I did like Kyle's work in uh, SpongeBob as the book writer for SpongeBob. <laughs> so and I like weird things, and this sounds weird. Oh, so it sounds I'm all so for weird. It. Here yeah. for it. Yeah, it's, it, your trip is good timing. That's like my birthday week. So is thanks, it? I guess. What, yeah. What? When's your birthday? What day? February February 1st. Uh, I don't know if I'll be there then, which I'll fill you in the details of why later. But Ooh, uh, no, nothing major. Just yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go out to uh, uh, Columbus, on my hometown, Ooh, on the back end of that trip. So I don't know if I'll be yeah. there that early. I might come in on the 3rd. But either way, happy I birthday mean, week, and we'll celebrate your week. There we go. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of celebrating weeks, let's talk about some of the things happening over this week on the Broadway. You know I'm celebrating this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, seriously, this might as well be your birthday week. <laughs> Hello. Um, there isn't a ton going on because obviously most shows that are going to be open during this time of year, either on Broadway or off, have already begun performances. But on Monday night, while we are recording, the first Broadway performance of MJ the Musical is happening at Neil Simon mm-hmm. Theater. The show has a book by Lynn Nottage and features, of course, all of the iconic music that was made popular by Michael Jackson. The show for better or for worse, is produced by his estate in Columbia Live Stage. (laughs) 
That brings up a lot of questions, <laughs> yes, um, which I'm sure we will talk to. I'm anxiously awaiting reports about how Lynn Nottage has dealt with some of the more uh, complicated and messy parts of Michael Jackson's life and career. Because we have been, they even touch upon it, because well, we've been, so, yeah, we've been led to believe that they that they will. Um, mm. We'll see how much, though. Yeah. Hey, congrats to Lynn Nottage for having two shows on Broadway simultaneously. Totally. That's, Absolutely. that's and, really all I can say. And an opera coming up off Broadway next year with Intimate Apparel. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, she is certainly killing the game. But this show features um, Miles Frost in his Broadway debut as Michael Jackson. Also features former Tell Me More guest Whitney Basher, uh, as well as Quentin Earl Darrington and many more. Um, the show is directly Directed and choreographed by Christopher Wielden, not who I would have guessed for a Michael Jackson show, but whatevs. Um, yeah, why not, uh, I guess. Yeah, so this show is uh, scheduled to open on February 1st. Then the thing that might as well be Ashley's birthday. Speaking of February 1st and my birthday. Uh, yeah, there you go. Here we go. The thing that actually matters. Yes, the thing that actually matters is on Thursday, despite recent reports to the contrary. Yeah. <laughs> Company will be opening this Thursday, December 9th at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater as of now. Who knows what the hell can happen over the weekend when Patty Lapone had to miss some performances due to what we have now been told was a stomach uh, virus Mm -hmm. or bug or something. They um, the press reps for the show started canceling. Um, press tickets and, yeah, over and the stuff weekend. over the everyone, weekend. Anyone that had, I guess just up until the Saturday matinee, and then because Patty yeah, was back Patty in was Saturday back. night, so yeah, yeah. So I don't know if they had canceled Saturday night's press as well, but then they've been telling people that they were going to push opening until January and they'd reschedule them then. Yeah. Then, probably because Patty said, oh, hell to the no, <laughs> they reversed course and they are going to stick, as of now, with the Thursday opening. Yeah. Um, of course, we've talked about the show many, many times as over the past couple of years. humanly possible. Yes, but it features uh, direction by Marion Elliott and choreography by Liam Steele and stars Katrina Link as Bobby, as well as Patty Lapone, Terrence Archie, Etai Benson, Bobby Conti, Nikki Renee Daniels, Matt Doyle, Claiborne, Elder, Christopher Fitzgerald, Greg Hildreth, Manu Narayan, Rashida Scott, Christopher Sieber, Jennifer Samard, and others. Correct. Um, so it is quite the cast, quite the show. I'm sure we will talk about it much more We're gonna uh, talk in the about future it. as well. It extensively, I'm sure. I got my balloon still floating on my ceiling huh. from first preview. I am seeing the show twice this week. <laughs> I'm not I'm not about to lie, both on Wednesday night and Saturday matinee. So um this will be my fourth and fifth time seeing the show. Yeah, you're going to see it Wednesday night after the Light dimming for something. I'm gonna be an absolute mess. It's gonna be a good time. Yes, I generally associate good times with being an absolute mess. That's my life, Uh, baby. Yep. Um, and then finally this week on Saturday, December 11th, Dear Evan Hansen will return to performances at the Music Box Theater. It will star, uh, Jordan Fisher, who uh, Grace and I recently saw in Freestyle Love Supreme. Mm-hmm. Um, it will also feature Gabrielle Caruba as Zoe. Um, Jared Goldsmith as Jared. Um, and, uh, Christiane Knoll as Cynthia Murphy. Jessica Phillips as Heidi Hansen, both of whom I saw, um, on the tour. So, mm-hmm. um, very fun there. All right, Ashley, before we get into a feel-good recommendation and then my interview with Justin Elizabeth Sayer, let's talk about our good friends over at Upstart. 
as we talked about the other day, Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Please to put a penny in the old man's hat. But if you have extensive credit card debt and high interest loans that you just can't seem to get ahead of on, you might not have a penny or even a hay penny, because that'll also do, <laughs> to put in any old man's hat. Fortunately, even though the weight of debt can be crippling, Upstart can help you get on a path to financial freedom, not only for this holiday season, but for the rest of your life as well. I will take the penny, the hay penny, and especially Upstart. <laughs> Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. And rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and your credit history. They find you a smarter rate for your loan, and you can check your rate without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. That's a lot of pennies. You receive your funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. It's a lot of pennies. It's even more hay pennies, by it's the way. It's true. <laughs> anyway, you can find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com broadway. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. <laughs> Go to upstart.com slash Broadway. All right, let's wrap up um, this part of the show before we head into my interview by talking about a feel-good recommendation that we've been teasing that we knew was going to start happening here soon. And I mentioned the great Joshua Henry earlier in the episode. Um, a week or so ago, Josh uh, started saying that he was going to be doing like pometer preludes or something like that because uh, oh, he often yeah, does yeah, yeah, yeah. he often does like acoustic songs um, as like warm-ups and in dressing rooms and in hallways um, the first one that I've seen uh, was just released and it is with his waitress co-star Sierra Renee um, doing an acoustic dressing room performance of You Matter to Me these two are two of the best voices on Broadway and they have um, quite a history together with The Wrong Man and now in Waitress and they just yeah. sound so amazing together their voices so, are so beautiful in general. Really, really are. Ugh. So highly recommend you check that out and, and highly recommend that you tell Grace that you think that The Wrong Man should have a cast album because I'm sure she mm -hmm. would like to be uh, your best friend. Agreed. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's wrap up today's episode. I spoke with playwright, performer, I guess cabaret-ish artist as well. Cabaret, um, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> you're, Justin, you're always really ambiguous about what cabaret is. Well, and I think uh, the fact that cabaret is ambiguous is the point. Yeah, that's probably very true. Um, but uh, Justin Elizabeth Sayer has a show uh, running at La Mama just through the 12th. It's just the, t the 2nd through the 12th of December. It's called To Build a Soul. Um, they've had a... Um, this isn't their first show that they wrote during the pandemic to come back, but it's their first solo show to come back uh, to the stage. We talked about this, kind of the things that they learned during the pandemic and they applied mm -hmm. to this show. Um, and what was great about it was, is they said that this is really a love letter to theater. The, the pandemic and not being able to perform really reminded them how important the theater was to them. So this is a joyful yeah. love letter to the theater. And then we also talked about all of the other incredible things that Justin has so in the works for always. 2020. 
22. Um, they have another show that's going to be part of the Under the Radar Festival at the Public Theater. Um, of course, Justin performs monthly at Joe's Pub. The yes, show um, uh, My Beatnik Youth will not actually happen at Joe's Pub. They wanted it to happen in a different theater to kind of separate it from the from the cabaret stuff. Um, then they've also got a book coming out in May, which sounds like a great thing um, for your queer and queer-loving um, friends uh, for the holidays. So um, check out this interview. We will have a link to where you can get tickets um, to, to Build a Soul at La Mama in the show notes. And we will see you on the other side of this interview. So, Justin, we are talking on Monday afternoon. So you just finished your first weekend of shows for To Build a Soul at La Mama. How did how did everything go being back on stage after the pandemic? It's good. You know, I've had I've had uh, it's, this isn't my first time back. Uh, I had two little runs of of a play that I wrote over the another play that I wrote over the pandemic. Uh, but it's, this is so much more intimate, you know, it's, it's, uh, at La Mama, which is kind of like a homecoming out of piece here about six years ago. And, uh, it's been a relationship that I've really been proud of and, and want to continue to foster. Um, and it's just me, it's not anyone else on stage. So it's, it's a different sort of intimacy than when you're kind of a cog in the wheel of a play, you know? <laughs> um, but it's been great and audience has been really lovely and responsive and uh glad to be back i hear that more than anything just glad to be back glad to be in the presence of of what this art is that really touches people in a way that nothing else can so it's 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 great it's been wonderful i I know you've talked about for this show specifically that when you didn't have the opportunity to be back on on a stage like you're talking about in a place that feeds so many people's souls um that you were trying to figure out what stories you wanted to tell. And, and if you got the chance to tell stories again, which ones would be the ones you would do first. So I guess, first off to build a soul, what is this story that you're telling and why did you decide that this was the one? Um, obviously you said you did some other things during the pandemic as well, but why was this a story you wanted to yeah. tell uh, when you had the opportunity to get back? I think that, you know, during the pandemic, there were many times where I thought, I didn't know how it was feasible, how we were all going to be in the back in the same spaces again. Um, so it was really a question of like, is this even possible again? And in deciding that, you know, I, I discussed it even in the show, like I, I have all theaters. I could tell you theater stories about Ethel Merman and, <laughs> you know, Edwin Booth. I could go back through history. I could, you know, regurgitate things I've learned or heard or things like that. But, um, in in wanting to write the show, it was kind of it was wanting to write a thank you or almost a Valentine to the theater. Um, from just my perspective, what it had meant to me, what it had, had been in my life. And and uh as we talk about in the show, it becomes the love story, not the not the marriage. It isn't some sort of kind of career retrospective. <laughs> anyway, I'm too young for that. Um, but uh it is the kind of, oh, this is when you got the bug. This is when you uh, decided that this was the way you were going to participate in the world, you know? Um, and, uh, and that really was the story that I thought was the most compelling because it reminds people of why we do this. And, and maybe that reminding will help them get back into it. 
Yeah. And, and for you as an artist, did you feel that during the pandemic, you felt more estranged from that love because you weren't getting to do it? Or did you feel like longing or distance made the heart grow fonder that you fell more in love with it? How did, how did the experience of the year and a half, two years of the pandemic, um, go into your relationship with this art form and this thing that you've been doing for your entire life? Yeah, I well, I'm I kind of went a little nuts to be honest. I'm sure I'm not <laughs> the only one. I this was the longest period of time that I'd never been on a stage anywhere, so it was really kind of shocking, and it was shocking almost on a physical level in some ways because you're like, oh wow, like I haven't been with people in that way in in such a long time. I haven't had that experience. You kind of feel in your bones in a strange way. So in some ways, it was an absence makes the heart grow fonder, certainly. I was very appreciative. The first time we walked into rehearsal for for something that I was doing in Los Angeles and we were all there, I think I teared up a little bit. Sure. Because it was just like, oh, wow, we're together. We I've seen these people for a year and a half on a Zoom and and now we're in the room together. How marvelous. Um and you know, and the same is true with to build a soul. Like when when we started, it was just like, oh wow, this is we're going to do this. This is going to be real, and and um, and it and it has been an experience of like, oh wow, um, an experience of recalculation. I think for everyone, I think everyone's kind of thinking about where their priorities are in life again, and uh, and it, and it was nice to kind of come back and say to say to the world and certainly to myself that this was a priority of mine. Yeah. And how did that, how, how did the experience of not being on a stage for longer than any time in your life, how did that impact your priorities? What, what came to be more crystal clear in how you viewed yourself in the world, uh, you know, during that time period? Well, I saw that so much of my work was about community hmm. and that had been built on the premise, oh, we're going to come together as a community. So um, without the work, I was feeling very isolated. And I'm sure that's not, I'm not alone in that. Um, but I think besides that, I, I also found that, you know, I think it's, it's the strange retrospective that everybody gets in during the pandemic of life yeah. is entirely too short. And you have to do the things that you really care about and you love. And uh, coming out of the pandemic, I thought, you know, it's always been this. I, I've gone in a thousand different directions and I've, I've done, I've been lucky to do a thousand different things. And I still want to do a thousand different things. But at this point in my life, coming out of the pandemic, you know, becoming a little older, I felt I have to concentrate on the things that, I want to do in this time. I can't just go from job to job. I have to really put the art that I want to make as a priority. And that has to come over everything else. So it was a recalibration. It was certainly, and, um, and it's, and it's been a great homecoming in that sense, because people have been very warm about the show and, and uh, very welcoming. So you're talking about things that, are your priorities the things that you want to focus on? How yeah. does to build a soul play into that? Why is this something that um, 
is a priority for you? Why is this type of work and this story something that means so much to you now? Well, I think that um, to build the soul kind of touches on the things that I think are important about the theater. And, and some, some of them are a bit passe, perhaps. Hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, I think there's a current, and I was discussing this with two playwright friends who came, you know, there's a current, uh, there's a current thread in the theater to kind of either punish an audience or uh, teach them. And I don't write, I can't write works like that. Hmm. I just, it just, I don't, it doesn't, that's not how my mind works. I never write a play and think I'm going to, in this play, I'm going to dissect, you know, American capitalism. I write a story about, you know, a hooker who doesn't have enough change to call home. You know, like I just can't, that's not, that's just, I work in a different way. And I think what this piece kind of opened a door for me was solidifying what that is, solidifying my interaction with the theater, why my mind works in that way but also presenting, you know, that there has to be enormous joy in it. There has to be truth in it. Um, there has to be a sense of wonder that the, the, one of the, one of the lines in the show is that the, the theater provides us with the most human of traits and it's belief. You know, you go to the theater to believe in something because it's a fake thing. You know, you're never going to see a living room from the fourth wall. You're never going to be in people's lives like that. And yet you're sitting and watching real life people pretend to be something else. And for those two hours, you're believing that they are. That's very powerful. That's incredibly powerful and important. Yeah. One of the things that I don't know if it's the pandemic or the previous presidential administration, I've gotten to the point where I'm just kind of over this overwhelming cynicism that everybody has about everything and trying to trying to downplay anything that people find joy in. And uh, for me, I find joy in theater and I'm not ashamed of that. And I find joy in theater. That's, you know, not necessarily the things that make me cry and desperately, you know, upset at the world when I leave. So, uh, sure. so I definitely understand that. There's a place for both. There's absolutely a place. Sure. And I, I, I don't hold it against anybody that writes in that vein. I think if you can do it well, it's remarkable. But I do think that there has to be the thing about the theater that's so touching and so beautiful. It is that it's, it is, it's raw humanity in front of you. You're never going to be, you know, you could watch a movie and it can move you a lot. But at the end of the time, it, you know, it turns off and you're in dark. You're actually, when it's great, you're watching a human being go through that experience. You're practicing empathy in real time. And uh, that's incredible and, and, and has to be a priority of the theater. It can't be just, oh, we're going to teach you or we're going to, you know, punish you for how you've lived. Both are valid things and both should be part of the mix, but at the core of it, I think it has to be a, an exercise of empathy. Yeah. Well, talking about stories where you're watching people go through things, uh, you have a very jam-packed 2022 uh, coming up. And one of the first things that's happening is you're going to be a part of the Public Theater's uh, Under the Radar Festival. You have a a show called My Beatnik Youth that is running on the 16th and 18th. Um, the, The concept is great. It 
almost sounds like it could be potentially um, uh, somewhat autobiographical the way that the press notes related. Is this a based on something you went through? Or is this a totally fictionally interesting story? It's um, it's very slightly based on something that I went through. Very, okay. very slightly. It's mostly fictionalized. Um, and And actually, when we were talking about I'm working with Ellie Heyman and a wonderful mm-hmm. pianist, Darnell White. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about, you know, that maybe this would be a first round where I would do, I, I'll be doing the performances, but, you know, what would this look like on, on another actor? What would this look like sure. on, um, you know, any, many different kinds of actors? How could they relate to this piece? So, um, yeah, we've been talking that and I'm, I'm very excited to see what that, that trend leads us to as well. So, um, yeah, no, it's semi-autobiographical. It's very slightly, if anything. <laughs> well, it's a fascinating, you know, kind of concept, uh, for a story. And you talked about working with, you know, a, a pianist there. It's kind of interlaced with jazz music. I, is, I didn't see where this one was going to happen. Was it going to be in Joe's pub where you do so many other things or is it going to be in no, one of the other theaters? It's going to be in the Shiva Theater. Okay. Um, uh, at the public. Uh, I, I actually, though I love Joe's Pub and I, I'm actually going back there on the night. Of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a jam packed week. But, uh, I asked not to be in the, in Joe's because I wanted this to come, this piece, my beatnik youth, to be presented in a different way so that people knew that even just physically their expectations would be off rather than coming to see my show at Joe's, which has been a certain thing for a long time, you know? Yeah. So how does this differ from what you do in other types of works, whether they're at Joe's pub or something else? Why, why is my beatnik youth something that um, is kind of unique? Well, my beatnik youth uh, to kind of frame the story is about a young man who, um, gets in a, a terrible car accident uh, who, through his own fault, he was drinking and doing drugs and, and crashed his car. And to avoid, um, to avoid charges of being an underage person drinking and totaling a car, uh, his father, who's kind of connected, uh, puts him in a psychiatric ward to dry out for 30 days. Um so that he won't face any charges. And while he's there, he sort of deals with the things that had brought him to this accident in the first place. Um, so it's, it's not an autobiography by any stretch. It's not, um, it's not the character isn't even me. It's, it is really a character to someone else other than me. And I think that the, tone of it is so much more serious and so much more um not of how you would currently look at me on a stage you know i just turned 40 i can't believe it yesterday and um, happy birthday thank you very much and uh you know this kid is 17 and we we actually opened that show with i'm not 17 though i was once you know um so it's it's a real it's a breakdown of it's it's a breakdown of of more of a kind of playwriting work that I've been doing for the last few years rather than a kind of personal 
semi stand up cabaret work. So it, it's it differs from my work in that way. It's it's a it's a it seems like it's a progression, but it's really a, I think a break in some ways. Well, and talking about doing things that are different than you know the that cabaret style and, and maybe a progression of some sorts later this year you have a a new book coming out as well from gay to z a queer compendium um <laughs> could you just give it uh, is it available for pre-order first off because it, it is okay so that it wouldn't be available. a terrible holiday no, gift for people all. so tell not us not why this would make a great uh holiday gift for folks well um so about i guess it's hard to tell time I guess about three years ago, four years ago, something like that. Um, for many years, I would always get these notes from people about, you know, how do I, uh, you know, so much about gay culture. How can I learn what you know? Or is there a book somewhere that I could find and have all these things together, you know? And uh, I, there wasn't really a, or one that I knew of. So I started doing shows called uh, from the Gay BCs, where I would just go through alphabetically and explain little things of gay culture in, in a kind of short, pithy way. I wasn't going to be a Wikipedia at you for two hours. But, um, hmm. And uh, some lovely folks at Chronicle Books saw the show and really loved it and said, would you ever think of putting it in a book form? So I did. Um, and it took a long, long time trying to get it right, trying to make sure that people felt represented and it wasn't just, you know, a book of, of a hundred white gay men, and, which a lot of gay history can be, but really making sure that this was a book under which people felt represented. F people feel that, you know, the LGBTQ community is, is a community in itself with endless diversity. And, uh, and, I wanted to make sure that was in the book. So it's a, it's a short, it, it, not short. It's 250,000 words. I mean, it's sadly, Ooh. but uh, yeah. um, it's a, it's a nice compendium. It's a nice jumping off point uh, for people to get into gay culture. And it's also, you know, I, I write in the beginning of the book, it's not a complete book because you could never do a complete book. You know, sure. it's, yeah. it's a snapshot of the moment. It is who we're dealing with in the present and who we're kind of adhering to in the past. And it is, it is a start to a, a wonderful conversation and hopefully a kind of road that people go down and find their own way into gay culture. Yeah, sounds sounds like a, a lovely addition to a lot of people's personal libraries, hopefully uh, when oh. it's released in, in May. Absolutely. I hope to see, <laughs> you know, there were many years where you would go to gay people's apartments and you'd see three or four of the same books, kind of like gay New York and all those wonderful things. Yeah. I'm hoping that one day I'll be in people's apartments <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, there's my book. Yeah, very nice. And then yeah. you'll grab it and sign it for them, whether they ask That's for it or right. not. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, um, to, to wrap things up on To Build a Soul, um, it is just oh. running through the end of, of of this weekend through December 12th, unless there's some sort of extension that hasn't been announced yet. But um, no. no. So as people are, are perhaps going down to La Mama to see this, if you could just wrap up what they can expect to experience from this show, whether it is their first time back in a theater or not. It sounds like a lot of people have talked to you and said that it was a great way to come back. What is this experience like for the audience? We've kind of talked about what it's like for you to be back doing this show, but yeah. what can the, what journey can the audience experience from coming and seeing to build a soul? Well, I think 
with the audience and what audiences have said to me in some ways is it's very intimate. You know, it's just me on stage for about an hour and 10 minutes. Um, it's, there's a lot of laughter, certainly. Um, but there's a lot of seriousness too. And, and there's a lot of, um, poignancy, I, I think. Um, but it's not, it's not heady. It's not overwhelming. It is, it is truly a love letter to the theater and, and, a, and a love story. And it is, you know, a love story that's filled with pain and sorrow at moments, but also enormous sure. joy. And I think that that's the, the end of the show, especially is, is this kind of burst of enormous joy. And I think that's why people are responding so wonderfully to it. Um, I think it's, it's, it's nice to be in a theater where you end on a, on a note of joy. Yeah. Like I said, I'm kind of, uh, over the cynicism phase, uh, of my life and looking out for those. So I love anything that has, uh, that has either a a big or at least a little helping of joy in it. So, uh, Justin, congratulations on this run and all of the incredible things that you have coming up uh, over the next 12 months uh, and probably even more in the future. So hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about them uh, uh, again as they come up as well. Anytime. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. All righty. I will be seeing um, the national tour of the prom tonight. Yes. So, Ashley, that means you and Grace will be tag teaming that episode. That's true. And um, so I guess y'all will be talking to everybody tomorrow. Mm hmm.